it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, 
explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Shri and Peter. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. I'm PVSB, a.k.a. the National League CPG Guy. And my domains of expertise revolve around digital shelf content, retail, customer data, loyalty, CRM, and insights. My co-host, he's the American League CPG guy, though I don't think there really is a big difference anymore now that they've got the damn, they screwed up the National League by adding the designated hitter. I hate it. Anyhow, um, he's an expert at branding, direct consumer enablement, unified commerce, retail media, and marketplaces. Please join me in welcoming Yankee-loving the man with one name, Shri. Shri, how you doing? Peter, thank you so much. It's a pleasure doing this week over week with you. Hey, uh, uh, before we get to our guest, I want to remind our audience that all of our content, including our profitability series, the Women Leadership Series that helped us raise $8,000 for the Susan G. Komen Foundation, our Founder Series from Q1 of this year, where we invited on a lot of founders of businesses, all that can be found at cpgguys.com. And Shri, what do we charge for that? I think it's free, right? We, we don't charge anything. Wow, that's free. So that's good. Uh, and you know, we talk about the fact that our our podcast is rather audience driven. So the way you can help us determine what we talk about and who we invite on is simply go to ratethispodcast.com slash guys and leave us a review. You can also leave us a rating like up to five stars, you know, whatever you want. I'm a big fan of five, but whatever you want to leave. All right. So our let's get on to the main event. Let's get to, let's get up to the plate here. Our guest today is the co-founder and COO of Any Road and author of Drink More Whiskey. Shree, I like I'm already happy. Drink More Whiskey. Bloody brilliant. He launched Drink Me magazine and was the producer at Open Content Media. He co-founded Any Road as a platform help brands measure their experiential marketing and brand homes. I know he works with a lot of the bourbon distillers on the trail down in Kentucky. Can't wait to talk to him about that. He's a COO and he works closely, as I said, with not only some of the bourbon trail brands, but Anheuser-Busch, Diageo, and even brands like Tabasco, because you need that when you make it a Bloody Mary. So absolutely good stuff. Uh, please join us in welcoming Daniel Yaffe. Daniel? Welcome Thank to the you. you guys podcast. Did I pronounce your name right? I forgot. You ask. did. No, that's perfect. Rhymes with coffee. That's great. Okay, uh, great. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, really wonderful to meet you guys and uh, excited for, to jump in. Daniel, we have this audience that while they listen to the podcast, they love to do some research. So in order to help them do that, can you first of all, tell us where they can find any road online? And after that, can you give us a brief overview of what your business is before we get into the questions? Absolutely. You can uh, find us at anyroad.com. Um, it's all about us. And if you want to, do, to learn a little bit more, you can reach out uh, to info at anyroad.com. Um, we are spearheading a category of experience relationship management. So we are a B2B uh, enterprise SaaS uh, platform uh, for brands to measure and scale their branded experiences. So as uh, Peter mentioned, we work with a lot of the Bourbon Trail, a lot of Scotch brands as well, uh, and other brands like Dick's Sporting Goods, 
uh, Michael's Arts and Crafts. So we also work with the retail, retail, but we'll focus on CPG for today. That's great. I'll tell you that in addition to our appreciation for American whiskey, uh, particularly of the bourbon variety, Shri and I are connoisseurs of single malt scotch. We are, I'm particular, I'm particular to Isla. I like my malt very peaty, but that's for another story. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank it. you for that, Daniel. Let's let's kind of get to the questions now. Yeah. Absolutely. So what the heck is a Bay Area guy like you doing on the Kentucky bourbon trail? I mean, in other words, what inspired you first of all to write the book about American whiskey? And the question that I love to ask. Is all American whiskey bourbon? <laughs> Great questions. Uh, so I uh, did publish a magazine all about beer, wine, and cocktail and spirits uh, for a long time. Uh, and then that led into a publisher approaching me saying, hey, uh, how about a book? Uh, had a lot of really fun ideas about traveling the world and drinking. And uh, they came back at me and said, how about a book about whiskey? And I said, I will absolutely do that for you. So I went out and traveled. I uh, spent a lot of time in, in uh, Scotland and Ireland, as well as Kentucky and Tennessee and Japan, uh, researching way more than anyone needs to know about whiskey in order to step back and say, let me tell you the stories. Let, let me tell you the basics. Let me uh, tell you what is most important. And absolutely not, not all American whiskey is bourbon. Uh, in our fine country, we've got single malts, we've got Tennessee whiskey, we've got uh, a lot of really creative things going on as well. Uh, before I let Shri ask his next question, a follow-up, is there any legal requirement related to qualifying as a bourbon? Absolutely. Uh, so it does have to be made in the United States. It's got to be made with a uh, majority of corn. So all whiskeys are made with some uh, cereal grain. So it'll have to be 51% uh, more or co of corn. Uh, and it's got to be aged in new oak barrels for at least two years. Uh, but there is bourbon federal coming. government law, right? There's, federal there's government like a federal law. Government law, the Bourbon Act. Absolutely. This was uh, this. These were the uh, back in the day. You know, the the woodworkers basically wanted uh, to keep their trade, so they had unions that were pushing and and uh, making sure that it was included in the law. Uh, but we do have amazing bourbon being made in, I believe, virtually every state right now, which is amazing. So you've written a book about American whiskey. You're on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, and then you live in the Bay Area. And we just had a conversation about All-American Whiskey Bourbon and how there's legal issues around making sure it's made in the USA. What does that have anything to do with the gap in the industry that had you start <laughs> up any road marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the book is actually about whiskey worldwide uh, with with a, a, big, a big section on American whiskeys. Um, what's interesting is I, while writing the book, I was in and out of literally hundreds of distilleries, uh, amazing ones. Sometimes we'll sit over a drink in person. Uh, I'll tell you some crazy stories. Uh, but when I was particularly in Scotland, there was one day I was over actually in Isla at Laphroaig, uh, cutting peat uh, in the field, uh, had an amazing, really transformational experience. And I can tell you before going there, before doing the research, I was not in love with PD whiskeys. Uh, fell in love with the brand, right? Uh, and I left that day. I took a tour, did a tasting, cut the peat in the field, and I left realizing that Laferg had no idea who I was. Laferg literally did not know if I drank whiskey or if I liked their brand or if I was an aficionado and drank their brand all the time. 
And I thought, this is absolutely nuts. There's a gap here. There's something missing. Uh, Laferg is owned by Beam Centauri, uh, big, big global brand. Uh, they're investing heavily into the experience. Uh, they're investing into having people there, insurance, tour guides, tastings, all of that. And yet there was no understanding of how that actually impacted me as a consumer. So I put my head together with my brother, who at the time was actually over at Red Bull, very experience-based company, uh, same kind of thing. They had no idea how to how to understand uh, its impact. And we thought, this is, there's got to be a better solution here. And so we set out to build AnyRoad uh, as a platform for these brands to measure and optimize these experiences. From your perspective, what is experiential marketing and how do you actually curate these experiences for brands? Great question. So experience, experiential marketing or experience-based marketing uh, is any marketing that is engaging with, generally we say more than two senses, right? So pre-pandemic, uh, we probably define this a little bit differently, but we've realized that sometimes this is actually through video uh, that you're actually doing something. It's, it's aside from media where you're just watching uh, and you're actually engaging. So you can think of tours, tastings, classes, events, uh, a lot of brands are getting really creative. Uh, it's participatory, right? So you're actually participating in the marketing itself. Great. So the, the brands come to us, they're generally actually running the experiences themselves. So uh, we're, we're the technology behind them. So what does that look like? Well, Diageo right now is uh, exploding, well, post-pandemic with their, their Scotch distilleries uh, in Scotland. Uh, they're opening up the Johnny Walker experience. And, and they're building and crafting these uh, sometimes with agencies, uh, understanding with an idea of what's going to resonate with consumers. We're the technology behind it. So we're there actually powering the experience, gathering data uh, about these consumers, and ultimately how it's impacting them, their lifetime value, their brand perception, uh, and understanding that context so they can actually optimize the experience uh, in person. Let's talk about relationship marketing and consumers. For the sake of our audience, give us the one-on-one of how loyalty is actually developed, as well as in addition to loyalty, talk about measurement of loyalty, how you market for loyalty, and answer the ever-omnipresent question, does lifetime value? Hey, I, pre- I appreciate the question. Um, one of our, our very close advisors and investors, uh, the former chief growth officer of Coca-Cola, uh, and he loves to say the only thing that will ever drive loyalty are experiences. What does he mean by that? Well, you can see a picture of Coca-Cola all day. You can see ads, you can see commercials. It's not until you crack open a Coca-Cola with friends or at an experience or at an event, often with food, do you actually fall in love with the brand? Do you actually build brand loyalty, right? So riffing on that, we're a huge believer in that. Uh, we're a huge believer that it's the experiences that are going are to drive uh, consumer loyalty. Uh, so when you talk about measurement, uh, for us, it's understanding there's a contextual element to the data. So, Shri, if you go and, and you're, we're talking about a specific brand, if we're talking about you know Johnny Walker uh, and understanding your context. So are you a consumer to begin with? right? What is your loyalty to begin with? It's very much like actually medical research, understanding uh, where where do you fit before you actually engage with the brand? And if you're not a Johnny Walker drinker, uh, or even worse, you're, you're negative, you, you, you think that it, the brand is, is uh, not good, uh, then you go to the experience. 
we can actually look at the post experience data about how you feel about the brand. And that delta becomes uh, the impact. That becomes the impact of the experience. Um, a lot of brands also do measure this uh, lifetime value from a purchase behavior standpoint. So one of the things that our platform does for a lot of brands we work with is understand the contextual data around how often you drink a product. So if we're talking about Lafroy, we'll go back to Lafroy. Uh, how often are you drinking it before you actually go to Scotland, cut peat in the field? And then when you go home, how often are you drinking it and actually seeing that uplift? Uh, lifetime value is absolutely real. Uh, I think a lot of companies have done this really well. Uh, there are a lot of technology companies like Apple, uh, and they've actually tied it to net promoter score as well. So you can start to identify how much of a brand promoter you are, how much you spend with the brand. Uh, in the CPG world, it's a, it's a tough world. It's competitive. A lot of brands are trying to take market share away from each other. And so I think CLTV is, is incredibly important. Let me ask Peter a question. Black label blended scotch whiskey, Peter, is it in your favorites list? That's a great question, Shri. You know, my mother uh, has always consumed scotch and soda and she uses Johnny Walker Black. I've always been a single malt person. I tend to stick with, as I said, Isla malts. There are a couple of, there's a, there's um there. I'm not a big Highland. I don't tend to like the sweeter whiskeys. I tend to like the peatier whiskey. So it is mine. I can tell you one of my favorite whiskeys is actually not made in Scotland, nor is it made in, in Japan. I'm sure Daniel knows of this one uh, on Cape Breton Island in Nova Scotia is uh, Glen Breton. Uh, Canada's only single malt distillery. I love their, uh, not only their, their, their flagship, but I love their maple flavored uh, single malt. So also great, but yes, uh, I, I, I tend to be of one class. That's just me, but in any event, so let's get back to American whiskey for a second. I hear Daniel that even on the bourbon trail, whether you're on the classic trail, maybe even on the, the more recent craft trail that you can actually collect data during an experience and that can help cure curate innovation for these brands is this really true and how does that work and what kind of observations have you made that have you know changed the insights for for these big manufacturers yeah great question we do work with uh, the vast majority of the, the bourbon trail uh they're using us and again they're using us to capture data on consumers um, it is opt-in, but they're understanding consumer behavior, uh, who they're attracting. So very similar to my story at Lafroig, uh, brands are now able to see, well, who's new to the brand? Who's that maybe come in because they absolutely love bourbon? Uh, or maybe who's coming because they're going to a bachelor party and they actually don't drink. Uh, so understanding that, that context. Uh, one of the things about our platform is we're actually pulling in qualitative data. So after you, Peter, go to a distillery, have an experience, we're, we're actually opening up for qualitative feedback. And what we're doing is we're actually running that through natural language processing, understanding the analysis about what's actually impacting your perception of the brand. So if you went to Four Roses uh, and had an amazing experience, we can actually pull out insights about, you know, it was the tasting of the different uh, yeast strains, like that really drove your brand perception of, of Four Roses. So really understanding, well, what is it about these experiences? And a lot of the brands we work with will start to see some, some negative uh, or things that are slipping and be able to actually amend the experience uh, and, and iterate uh, along the way. 
Before I offer this to Shri, could I ask you one more on that negative feedback? Because when I'm not yeah. doing a podcast, I'm in the ratings and reviews business. Awesome. How do you find brands react to negative feedback? Are some of them kind of, I want to cover my ears and I want to ignore it? And or or do they see that as more of a gift to help them improve the product, the experience, what have you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it depends on their maturity when it comes to experiential. So I think that uh, one thing that we do see is a lot of agencies don't want to measure. They don't want to see the outcomes uh, because they, we we sometimes say that a lot of brands, I would say particularly agencies measure with the three eyes. One is intuition, right? Uh, If Peter uh, has, is drinking Jim Beam, uh, that's great. That means he loves it. Uh, Image uh, as image is actually that picture of him. Uh, intuition is we know it works. Image, and the third one is is impressions, right? So people people tweeted about it. <laughs> okay, great. Is that is that good? Is that bad? Uh, what does that mean? Who's you know? What's the context of that? So, um, some brands really don't want to measure. Uh, we generally don't work with them, right? Uh, we're we're, go- we're working with brands that really understand have a maturity model around experiences. Um, what's fascinating, though, is if you go to a distillery and have an amazing experience, that's wonderful. There's an uplift. If you are a brand champion, right, say you go to uh, the Bullet's new distillery and you love Bullet and you show up and you have a horrible time, your lifetime value may very well decrease and they might lose a consumer for life. Uh, one of the problems and one of the, some of the education that we're doing for a lot of brands that we work with is it's not about the $10 that somebody spends on a ticket. That's great. You know, if you, if you can collect it, it brings value to the experience. But if Peter goes and has a horrible time, you're going to lose that uh, a consumer for life. And they're going to, he might even go out and tell other people who love Bullet, you know, don't worry about it. Fortunately, Bullet does have a great experience. So I don't think that happens very often, but uh, it, it does. And, and one of the things about our platform is really capturing those moments before they go out into the world. So a lot of the brands we work with will be able to identify those, those brand promoters who had a negative experience, reach out to them directly through the platform. So that are in that relationship side of things. Obviously, working in the beverage field, you probably collected a plethora of experiences that are like, no pun intended, experiential marketing. What can the CPG industry and brands learn from your collective wisdom here? Are there specific examples? It's a great question. So one of the things I would say is uh, as a platform, we actually capture industry data. So any brands that work with us actually have access to industry benchmarks, uh, best practices. Uh, From my perspective, it kind of goes back to that experiences are what drive loyalty. Uh, Giving people real authentic experiences with your brand that's what's going to drive brand love. Uh, you know, if you think about any any brands that I interact with or buy on a normal basis, there's something that sparked that. Uh, and I think a lot of a lot of companies out there, whether it be social media or whether it be um, billboards or print, you know, don't recognize the the relationship between these things. Um, those are great. Those are great to refresh brands and people's minds. They're never going to drive loyalty. Uh, and I think the, the other piece of this is that the experience doesn't have to do with the product necessarily. This is fascinating. Uh, a lot of brands have approached us and say, you know, hey, we're, we have canned soup. 
what are we going to do? Do tastings of our soup? Like that doesn't, that doesn't sound like it's going to resonate. Uh, and then we, and then we've seen innovative brands that say, no, let's take that soup and have cooking classes. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to think outside of the box. Uh, and it's not, a, not just about building an experience around the product itself. It could be building an experience for the consumers that love your product. In my intro, I talked about my area of expertise is loyalty data insight. So let's get to kind of the data aspect of what you're collecting. What do you see as being the power of data and understanding human behavior and fostering loyalty? And how is this kind of changing the way brands build long-term relationships with consumers in this era of being able, to your point, process big data through natural language processing? That's that's very transformational, yes? Absolutely. Look, I, I see when it comes to marketing and engagement with consumers, there's those two sides of the brain, right? There's the artistic side, this is the agency side. Uh, how do we how do we connect with people? And then there's the data side, the measurement. And I think this, these two things need to go together. And I think for too long, for a lot of companies, they've been very separate. Uh, but I think one hand can feed the other, right? And that the data is going to prove out how the art works. I think this is incredibly important when it comes to how brands are engaging with consumers. Uh, and so it's about being agile, right? If you think about Facebook advertising, you would never create a Facebook campaign, spend $100,000 on it and say, I think it worked. Let's find out uh, next year. You iterate. You, you take uh, an iterative process. Uh, you tweak things a little bit. You see what's working for what audiences. And I think that's going to happen more and more with more in intimate interactions. And that's where we come in, uh, that those interactions can be driven by what works and what doesn't. And how can you actually tweak, uh, tweak the process to learn a little bit more about what resonates with, with your audience? You know, just listening to you speak there, let's use the word agile. So um, what I'd love to know is in this world of experiential marketing, is this about collecting data, qualitative, quantitative data, and then it's the next experience one can encounter? Or can you actually do something here on the fly? For example, in the whiskey experience that we talked through earlier in the trail, as you learn, can you actually curate experiences on the fly? Or is all of this static? No, so it's all live data. Um, what's interesting, we have some brands that are actually pulling in third-party data sources to actually amend the experience. Um, I can't talk too much about this because it's, it's under wraps, but I think it's launching over the summer. But um, a brands, because we're we're running the consumer journey, brands can pull in third-party data or capture data and allow that to actually amend your experience as a consumer. Um, and I think this becomes personalization of experiences. This becomes a very rich opportunity. Uh, I think that's where a lot of this is headed. Uh, I think that having that live data, doing that in, in that agile way. Um, and the other piece of this is thinking about experiences in an agile way. That if you have somebody, say a tour guide at a distillery or let's say like bigger scale, you have got all these agencies that are actually building experiences and running experiences. The minute that you see there's something negative, that agency can pivot a different way. That agency can say, you know what, you know, it's not working. Um, Whatever it is, the music at our venue is is not resonating with people. Uh, one of the one of the beautiful things is that we're working with a lot of brands that have a tremendous number of agencies that don't have visibility into the impact those agencies are making. Right, and this is this is a in a big way. So we could talk about the distilleries, you know, as like a one experience, a brand home that doesn't go anywhere. Agencies 
are have to be agile, right? They they need to go that direction because they're spending budgets. Everything's happening in real time, uh, and using our platform, a lot of these brands are able to understand what the agencies are doing, what's effective and what's not, and actually direct them or even direct their budgets in different ways. To our audience, I want to remind you that all of our content is always available free of charge. Just go to cpgguys.com. We've got over 80 episodes in audio podcasts. We've got a list of the other our favorite podcasts that Shri and I listen to and we don't listen to ourselves talk. All of that's available at cpgguys.com. Please do leave us a review at ratethispodcast.com slash cpgguys. We know what you want us to talk about in the future. Daniel Yaffe, this was a tremendous conversation. This is right up our alley. We loved it. Uh, it's not only about a passion we have extracurricularly, but but about the space that we talk about in this podcast every day. I'll put liner in the liner notes of the podcast link to Any Road and your LinkedIn profile. But for those listening, can you remind them of the URL of Any Road? Yes, it's anyroad.com. That's easy. Yeah, that's very, good. Very easy. And, it, and it, as a bonus, if you do want to learn about whiskey, it's just drink more whiskey. Uh, you can yeah. find it on Amazon or anywhere. That I will put a on. link to the book on Amazon, also in the liner notes of the podcast. Let's hope we sell you billions and billions of episodes Perfect. of of of. Uh, of uh, publications of the book. That's great. Shri, what'd you think? Good stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us today. And Peter, thank you to you as always. Thanks, Shri and Peter. Appreciate it. All right. And to our audience, thank you for joining us. We look forward to having you on the next episode of the CBG Guys podcast. Thanks. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.